Today is our uh, child dedication Sunday. So once a year, we dedicate a whole service to um, dedicating children to the Lord, children who are, are part of uh, families in our church. And uh, we're really excited about doing that with eight different children this morning after the sermon. And the whole, instead of it being a tack on that we just do occasionally, we do it once a year. And the whole service is dedicated to that. So the sermon I'll be giving today is going to be uh, based on the fact that this is a, a child dedication Sunday. Also, it's a wonderful day because it's Mother's Day, of course. And uh, I just want to say how grateful I am. For Karen, who is the mother of our five children. And uh, there are a lot of things that I could say about Karen and how wonderful she is as a wife, as a ministry partner. Um, but who she is as a mom, she gives and gives and gives and gives some more. And then when she's at the end of her tank, her tank's empty, she looks to the Lord. And the Lord is the one who gives her strength. And that shapes her. And I've watched her and who she is as a mom, and it challenges me and encourages me and sharpens me. So I'm grateful for you. With that, I'm going to encourage you to uh, take your Bibles and open them to Matthew chapter 10. I'll be reading verses 34 through 39. If you're using uh, the Bible in the rack in front of you, it's on page 815. Page 815. And again, it's Matthew 10, 34 through 39. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Matthew 10, 34 through 39. Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You can be seated as we pray. Father, we come here to think about what it means to have godly families, to honor you in either our own families or our influence on families we're connected with. And we want to think not just based on Christian cliches or uh, wisdom passed down from other people, but we want to hear from your wisdom. We want to hear what you have to say. So we ask that you would speak to us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, it's sort of an unorthodox passage for a Mother's Day. And maybe you were thinking that as I read it. You thought, okay, what exactly is going on here? This does not seem like the uh, most natural place to be when we have a bunch of people thinking about mothers where it says setting a daughter against a mother. Come on. And I want to say, 
a couple things to that just at the outset. Number one is, as I mentioned, this, this actually isn't a Mother's Day message. It's a message about child dedication. But the second thing I want to say is, um, as, as I was thinking and praying about a child dedication Sunday and, and asking uh, God to help me think through what, what should I say, God gripped my heart with a, a certain theme that this passage expresses. And so, even though it's an unusual approach, an unusual thing to be thinking about on Mother's Day, it's something that I think it's good for us to take some time and consider. And I think, as I've studied it, I found that I think it'll actually be a wonderful message for us all to consider. You see, the Bible, when it so often is the case, when the Bible presents on a certain truth or concept... It, it presents two things that often there is kind of a, a fine line between or a tension between them. And, and, and the biblical route is to walk in that tension, to embrace all the things that the scriptures teach. And as you do that, you find that you're walking just the line that, that gets it exactly right. Because God speaks to these great complex issues of our day. As it relates to a family and particularly children, the Bible is unique in that... At, at one, in, at one time, on one hand, it presents a very high view of children and child-rearing and the family. And then on the other side, it warns us against making an idol of the family. So when you think about that first topic, it, it, it actually is a, is, a, is a profound teaching of, from God's word. So the very first command given in all the Bible is to be fruitful and multiply. Children are a good thing. It's a blessing. They are a blessing. And, and the Bible talks about, um, it compares having a lot of kids to having a quiver full. And it says, blessed is the man whose quiver is full. Now, this view of children, even think about Jesus when he was walking in, in his day and the, there were some children coming and his disciples are like, shoo, get away. And you're like, what's going on with that? And he says, no, let the little children come. This view of children actually was revolutionary in that day. In our day, we, we understand societally children are special and important. But in those days, children were thought kind of the outer rungs of society. In fact, there were ancient writers who said that a child had more in common with a plant than with a human being. And though that, that's a funny thought, the way it got applied in those days was terrible. So children were abused. They were mistreated, taken advantage of sexually. Sometimes they were, uh, if they were unwanted, they were left to be exposed or to die on their own. Oftentimes, parents, at least parents of means, had no connection with their children, left to be raised by household servants. And it wasn't that these were just kind of fringe things that happened and everyone kind of looked away from. These were things that were, broadly speaking, accepted because children were not considered fully human. And it was really only the rise of Christianity at least speaking in the West, that has established this idea of children as these precious gifts that need to be nurtured. So the Bible is profound 
and what it says about the value of children. And yet, on the other hand, it's clear in warning us against idolizing our children. And so we have in our passage today um, the verses I just read. I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her, his mother, her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Now, this, these words here come in the context, if you'll remember when we were in Matthew 10, it comes in the context where Jesus is telling his disciples, this world is going to be hostile to you. If you choose to follow Christ, if you choose to follow me, the world is actually going to not just be like, oh, you're wonderful, that's great, we love that you're following Jesus. There's going to be opposition. And so here he's applying that specifically to family. And so he's talking about how if you, if you truly put me first and worship me, it's going to create tensions within your family. So if you think, oh, follow Jesus, and all of a sudden everything in my family is going to be hunky-dory and great, Jesus is saying, no. Actually, sometimes, because of what I'm doing and bringing, dividing those who are with me from those who are against me, that can happen within a family. But what he says in explaining that in verse 37 is profound. He says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. In other words, we are not to make an idol of family. We are not to put our family and our allegiance to our earthly family on equal footing or above our love and loyalty to Christ. Now, that's not the only time Jesus says words like this. So just flip a few pages ahead to chapter 12. The end of chapter 12, that's on page 818. The last four verses of chapter 12. It says, while Jesus was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Or move forward just a little bit further into chapter 22. Verses 29 to 30. You can find this on page 828. So the Sadducees have come and said, okay, let's say this, let's take the situation where a man through a, a, a circumstance um, has, um, or a woman through the circumstances has had uh, been married to several men who've all passed away. And they say, okay, in the resurrection, like, whose husband will be hers? And so picking up the verse 29, Jesus says, You are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. And he says, For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. In other words, the marriages of this earth don't continue on after the resurrection, into eternity. Well, that's Matthew. He's, it's, it's all over uh, the Gospels. So just one other example I want you to look at. Luke chapter 14. 
on page 874. What I'm trying to show you is that Jesus' teaching in Matthew 10 is not isolated. Jesus has things like this, this to say regularly. So look at Matthew 14, verses 25 through 27. Now great crowds accompanied Jesus, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, all of these passages that we look at are underscoring the same thing. They might be telling us, be wary of making family an idol. Or they might be saying, our family isn't ultimately eternal. These relationships aren't. Or he might be telling us, the pursuit of Christ is what's most important. But the bottom line in each of them is Jesus' is warning against making an idol of family. Now we have to keep in mind the same man who said this is the man who, as he's hanging in agony on the cross, looks down at his mother and says to one of his beloved disciples, take care of her. The same Jesus who said this is the author of all of Scripture that teaches us all these things that value family and show it as a bedrock foundational societal uh, unit for our world. So when he says things, you have to understand that within the context of the whole scriptures. He's saying something here as a corrective against something where we take family and we put it above or on equal footing with Christ. So strong words like hate or put them, uh, set one against another are there in that context, right? He's saying, look, compared to your love for me, that's a, that's a typical way they would speak in those days if they were trying to say, you need to love something more. They might say, you hate that. Whereas other times they would say the same thing, you should love that. But compared to their love for Christ, we love that. So Jesus is telling us that we need not make, that we must not make an idol a family. And I believe that we as evangelicals have unwittingly or oftentimes are unwittingly worshiping at the altar of family. You, you see it when you walk into the Christian bookstore. You go into the family section. You find all these books over here kind of in telling us you know, how to make your family better, how to make your children behave, how to um, raise children who are wonderful, happy people who love the Lord, all these types of things that will talk about how to make your family better, how to make your marriage better, how to improve this, improve this. You don't find many books that say following Jesus could actually bring tension in your family. You don't find many books that say be wary of vowing your family too much. Or you listen to sermons. You'll, you'll, a, a lot of churches will have uh, regularly, just like we are, we'll, we'll take time and do a series on family. 
It's a, a typical thing that gets talked about. Think of the things, if you've been raised in a church, think about the things that you've heard addressed. How many of them are warning us against idolatry? They're often saying, we need to prioritize family. This is important. We need to put... So with all these pro-family, pro-family messages, which are important and good, are right, right to this side, we, we can easily start to drift this way if we're not holding that tension. I think of, uh, starting in the 90s for about two decades, probably the leading evangelical organization wasn't called Focus on Christ or Focus on Christ's kingdom. It was called Focus on the Family. And the leader of that organization wasn't a prominent evangelist. He wasn't a a, uh, warm pastor, seasoned, experienced pastor. He wasn't uh, an expert theologian. He was a family psychologist. Now, those of you who are familiar with the organization I'm speaking of, I'm not disparaging the organization. They've done a lot of good. I've been helped by them. What I'm saying is the fact that they were the crown jewel of the evangelical movement reflects our hearts as evangelicals. The fact that we are prioritizing and perhaps starting to worship at the idol of family. And to that... Jesus speaks with clarion words, saying, you must love me more than family. Now, what I want to do in the remainder of the sermon is just draw out three implications of this. One will be brief. The second one will be the longest. And then we'll go to the third as well. The first implication is that you don't need a family to matter to God. You don't need a family to be of use to God. And I think as evangelicalism has um, elevated the family perhaps too high, then people who don't have either children, they're married and they, they, they don't, aren't able to bear children, or maybe... Um, they want to be married and aren't married. They walk into a church. They, they were married and they lost their husband. They're divorced. They walk into a church and sometimes they can feel like they're the outsiders. They don't belong there. Because this is, this is a family church. And we celebrate the families of the church. And isn't it? But what Jesus says is what matters most is your pursuit of Christ. And that families aren't eternal. The eternal family are those who are doing the will of the, will of the Father. And so this should be a place where everybody... No matter what those deep longings, which are right and good longings for family, family is a good thing, but everybody can say, I am useful to God. I matter. I can serve and worship Him. We're all equals here as followers of Christ. I think of uh, a woman that I knew when I was studying in graduate school. I was in the biblical exegesis program. Now, if you want to create a program that, uh, um, the way the course description was and the way they talked about things, it, it attracted a certain type of person. And generally, they were male people. But there were a handful of women who said, I actually want to go and learn Greek and Hebrew, and I want to become scholars of the Bible, which was wonderful. 
And one of them was a a woman in her mid-40s from California named Rita. And she and her husband wanted to have children. And they couldn't. And they tried, and they tried, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they didn't. And so they said, well, God's allowed for us to be in a unique situation where we're not uh, having to pour ourselves into children. And so let's find something else we can pour ourselves into for God's kingdom. And so she says, okay, let's move to Wheaton where I can go and learn the Bible in depth. And she poured out to people. She gave herself to people. Because she loved Christ more than all these things and was pursuing him. So the first implication, you don't need a family to matter to God or to be used of God. I think it's something we can draw from what Jesus has said. The second implication, and this is probably the most uh, central to the message, is don't make an idol of your family. Sociologists are, um, are making a lot of observations about uh, how we parent in the West and the result that that's having. And uh, many of them are observing that we're raising a generation of people who feel entitled. And so what's happened is, is we, we worship at the altar of family of our children and, and we put them and we say, they're the most important thing. And so the, we cause the world to revolve around them. We make sure that they are at the center of everything. We make sure they know how important they are, how good they are, how wonderful they are. We build their self-esteem and they go through life as the center of the universe. And then they reach adulthood and not everybody treats them like they're the center of the universe. And they don't know what to do. And so they can become embittered towards others or they can uh, go through life with a certain chip on their shoulder or they can, they can expect certain things of others. They don't know. I remember a professor at the University of Chicago telling me how hard it was because he would give a grade to somebody that wasn't, sorry, a mark to somebody that wasn't a high mark. And they would come to him and saying, all through my life I've gotten good grades. I'm doing the same level of work. Why is this not a good grade? Because they had the sense of Anything I touch is golden. And I think sometimes we, as Christian parents, are doing the exact same thing. Now, none of us would say that. None of us would say we are worshiping our children ahead of God. Or that that is our idol. Nowadays, idols are a lot more subtle than a little carved image that we all say we're following. But let me ask some questions of us. When we think about our children, what is the dominant thought? That of, what can God do for them? Or what can they do for God? That might get at the heart. Or, when advancing our children's kingdom, 
comes into conflict with following Christ, which do we choose? You know what I mean by our children's kingdom. Their resume, their accomplishments, their well-roundedness, their development. When that comes into conflict with following Christ, what do we choose? I think of, um, I, I think I've mentioned this once before, but um, my oldest sister was doing great in gymnastics. She was moving right up the chain, and she was a, excelling at all levels in the competitions and things like that. And so the gymnastic coach came and talked to my parents and said, Emily has real talent. The next step is for her to kind of go into this elite level where the competitions are on Sundays. And my parents thought and prayed about it. And Emily didn't do gymnastics after that because they knew where their allegiance was. It was to Christ. And that had a marked impact on all of us as we saw our parents make those decisions. Or how about when our loyalties to Christ conflict with our loyalties to our children, which do we choose? Let me explain what I mean. There... Um, as you, as you study the scriptures, the Bible cle- is clear that homosexual relationships are sinful. There's a church, a Southern Baptist church, where the pastor's son came out as a homosexual. And you see this playing out all over the place where somebody who, who says, yeah, I, I believe the Bible is against, you know, is clear on homosexuality, that it's wrong. And then a family member comes out as someone who's in that lifestyle. And then, all of a sudden, my allegiances, am I loyal to Christ or am I loyal to my family member? And I feel like I have to choose. And so I choose that loyalty to my family member. And that's what the Southern Baptist Church did. It amended its statement its position on homosexuality in light of the fact that this pastor's son had come out as gay now that's that's a big example maybe it's a little politically volatile but it's it's a big example that probably most of us think oh well i would never do that but when i see more commonly is deciding what church we go to based on the preferences of our kids instead of really what christ would value now, I'm not saying in that that uh, as we choose what's the best church, finding a church that's going to be nurturing and helpful for our kids to grow should be a priority in that. But I'm talking about a family that's been in a church for a long time, and then their child says, well, I like the music at that church better. Or it's just not cool at this church anymore, or something like that. That's not a theologically thought-through reason, but it's just kind of arbitrary. Well, I'm going to go to, okay, let's, our whole family's going to go to that church. Because we're serving our child instead of serving Christ. So when our loyalties to Christ conflict with our loyalties to our children, which do we choose? Or how about when some of the things that we rightly desire for our children, we want them to be um, developed academically, we want them to be cultured, be 
you know, maybe know an instrument or be exposed to the arts. We want them to be socially well-adjusted. These are good desires. These are things that as parents we should be helping our children in. But when these things come into conflict, do we, do, or do we place these things ahead of our spiritual goals for our children? You might see this in terms of what, what you get most excited about, what your kids see you get most excited about. What you talk about the most, where you place most of your energy, what you pray about the most. Is it their spiritual growth or those other things? Or oftentimes, and this is the last one I'm going to say, we do focus on our children's spiritual development, but we do it in a way that's like, it's for them, not so much for me. So, so we, we expect certain things of them, we try and do certain things of them without really focusing on our own heart. Right? This is about making an idol in our own heart. So are we pursuing Christ first? Are we doing these spiritual things? Because I, I want my, Karen, my, my kids to grow up as Christians. Um, it's fitting that it's Mother's Day that I'm talking about this. I've, the example on gymnastics is probably driven by my mom. Um, I grew up without a television in the home. There's only a small pocket of people who that's true of. Usually those decisions were made because it's the boob tube, right? It just kind of dulls your mind and, hey, we're going to take that out of the home and let our kids be active and engage each other and things like that. That might have been a part of my mom's decision when she said we're getting rid of the television. But a big part of it was that she found herself as a believer, sitting and watching television shows that she has a great sense of humor. And so there are these funny shows that she would love watching. And because they were so funny, she'd, she'd keep watching them, even though they'd take little subtle jabs at what Christ honors. Or there'd be a little vulgarity or immorality in them. And she just found herself kind of opening herself. So she said, I'm just going to get rid of the television. That was such a great example for me. Here's, here's my mom who's not saying, what's best for my kids? She's saying, what's best for my own heart? And what's best for my kids. And that in turn is what's best for all of us. So, implication two is don't make an idol of your family. And I just encourage and challenge all of us to say, in your own heart, do you love Christ most of all? I will say, it's when we pursue Christ with all our hearts that we're able to be the best parents. So this isn't, you know, uh, I've got so much love to give. And right now I'm giving this much to my kids. So I need to siphon some of that and give some of that love to God. So that, you know, my love for my kids will go down a little bit. So I can love God more. You guys know love isn't a commodity like that, right? Actually, as we pursue Christ and love him... He transforms our hearts so that they grow bigger and are capable of more love and more sacrifice and more pouring. So this is where that tension in the scriptures is so important, right? If we're going to value our children and pour into them like we should, we must be people who put Christ first and pursue him at all costs. That's what allows us to do that. That's where we hold that line. I told you there's three implications. Let me bring out the third. Just kind of touching on it a bit. But we serve our family best by loving Jesus the most. 
We serve our family best by loving Jesus the most. I found that as a, as a young parent, interacting with other young parents, and then talking with people who are parents of older children, even college-age children, we are people who agonize over parenting issues. So what kind of family devotion should I have? When should they be done? Am I doing enough? Uh, what should be um, the schooling choice for my kids? Should they go to a Christian school? Should they go to a public school? Should they homeschool? Should they go to this kind of university, that kind of college? Um, what kind of discipline should I use in my home? And is this, is this appropriate? Is this what God would want me to do? How can I... I'm not seeing the kind of change in my child I need to do, so maybe I should change my dis- discipline approach. Or that uh, kind of, am I going to be one of those free-range parents who kind of just lets my kids do things and figure it out? Or am I going to be one of those kind of safety-conscious kids who's kind of ho- hovering over my parents, making sure everything's all right? You know, where am I going to be in that, you know, that balance? We're asking all these questions. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? But I think what Jesus is saying is, Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses life for my sake will find it. That when we pursue Christ with all our hearts, those other things fade to the background. They're much less important. Think about it. As you understand the gospel, that I in my own flesh am weak and I mess up and I sin and I do wrong. And left to my own devices, I make a mess of things. I need a savior. And then you understand that the God of the universe sent his son to take that sin upon himself and bear the penalty of that, not only so that we could be forgiven and made right with God, but so that our very hearts could be freed from the power of that sin. When we grasp that, it transforms us into a certain kind of person that is pursuing Christ with all our heart. And think about when we were in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 8, the kind of person that, that follows Christ. It says it's somebody who's meek, Somebody who's poor in spirit, who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, who is a peacemaker. Somebody who doesn't do shows of righteousness to display them for everybody else, your kids, your spouse. But who actually cares about what God thinks and is is thinking about how do I honor him and seek him and serve him. Somebody who, when there's sin in your life, maybe adulterous thoughts, impurity, You gouge that off and cut it off. And you pursue Christ. And greed. And worry. And trust those things to God. That's a wonderful parent, isn't it? Somebody who's transformed by the gospel. You know, everybody, everybody thinks they have the perfect parenting strategy. And then they have a second kid and realize it was all just the genes of the first one. 
course, they don't tell you that because all the books are meant for first-time parents, right? And they make all their money off of first-time parents. But you know what? You can, I mean, yes, think and pray and try and do a good job as a parent. Try and do, wrestle through those issues. They're important. But at the end of the day, what matters is that you're the kind of parent who's transformed by the gospel. Who's humble and meek and it can go to your child and say, look, I messed up. I'm sorry. Or, I'm learning and growing too. I need Jesus as much as you. I'm not the one who's standing off. Got it all right. You know, when Jesus says these things, he's not talking about that kind of austere religious home where it's everybody else. Says, okay, it's your Bible reading time. Do your Bible reading. Don't watch that. 50 lashes. That's not what it's talking about. It's not, when you read the Sermon on the Mount, that's not the picture you get of, of a follower of Christ's kingdom. It's somebody who's humble and full of love and is a peacemaker and sees his own sin and grieves over it. So, you serve your family best by loving Jesus the most. And that's, that's, the, that's the really paradigm-shifting point in all of this. Look, when... We think that by elevating our children and serving them, that we're doing the best for our children. But Jesus is saying it's just the opposite. When you do that, you lose it. You love your life, you lose it. You pursue Christ. Follow Him. It's actually going to make you the best parent. Now, that doesn't mean that at some point, as your children, if your children choose to reject the faith or are hostile to those things, that there can't be that wedge... There's still an undergirding love there, but there is that division that can come. But this is the kind of parent God calls us to be. Or grandparent. Or aunt. Or uncle. So let me just conclude by saying, for people who are not parents here today, for the non-mothers, the non-fathers, the non-grandparents. Don't obsess over whether you have a family or not. Yes, it's a blessing on this, in this world. It's only for a little blip. Instead, pursue Christ with all your heart and allow yourself to be used of Him. And for the parents here, and the grandparents. I'll overstate it a bit. But dump your parenting books. Stop obsessing over getting it exactly right. And feeling like if you don't get it exactly right, you're ruining your children. And just know the freedom of pursuing Christ. Letting Him shape you and mold you by His Spirit. And being the kind of loving, tender-hearted, kind parent that God wants your children to have. Let's pray. Father, I am so thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ that can take a heart that I know, at least my own, is very self-willed. I, I think I know everything. I think I've got it all mastered and I want everything to go according to my plan. And take a heart like mine 
and soften it and change it. I thank you for the gospel that saves sinners like me. And I pray that we would be people who love Christ more than our families, more than our wives or our husbands, more than our children or our grandchildren. There are those here who have made an idol of family. I pray that by your spirit you would help them to see that, help us to see that. It's true of me, help me to see it. That we could repent and put Christ first. And if there are people here who are worried about getting their Christian parenting exactly right and trying to do it all right and anxious about all these things, I pray that they would not be like Martha but Mary and sit at the feet of Jesus and be shaped by Him so they can be the kind of parents You've called them to be. And Father, I pray for those here whose family situation is not what they'd like. Thank you for this word of encouragement that families are just a, a, a blip on the radar of eternity and that the eternal family is lasting and they are important to you and matter to you even on Mother's Day as they can serve you by pursuing Christ. All for your glory we pray.